0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from ACAST. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. You are very welcome to episode 29 of the Scaling Your Business podcast. Today, we're going over to the UK. And we are talking to Christian Harris, the founder of Slip Safety Services. Christian, you're very welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Ian.
1: It's uh, I'm a fan of yours, so it's a pleasure to be with you.
0: Thank you very much. Um, as usual with guests, I want to kind of go back to the beginning and then we, we take it from there. Um, first question, notice you grew up in Northamptonshire, and um, I'm, I'm sure you can tell me the village specifically where you grew up, but what was life like growing up there? Have you got any favourite memories?
1: It was nice because I grew up uh, in and around a, a town called Kettering, but we lived in various little villages, but Kettering is somewhere that people may have heard of. Uh, we the Kettering Town Football Club is my team, and we're the uh, highest ever scorers still in the FA Cup. And oh, we're nice. the first ever uh, football club to have sponsors on our shirts. So there's a bit of history around uh, Kettering. Um, It was nice I mean we were we were in the countryside so we had lots of green spaces Uh, I'm almost 40 so it was at a time where you know when we were a little bit older my brother and I could hop on our bikes and leave in the morning and go and cycle five miles and play with our mates all day and then cycle home in the evening and nobody thought anything different of that so it was it was a uh, it was a good time growing up there yeah.
0: Bliss, um, I actually strangely enough, I don't think I've let people know this on the podcast yet. Um, I was born in in England and grew up, spent my first two years of my life there. I was born in Leicestershire. Oh, so that's not far there. then. Yeah, yeah. Until I was two, and then my parents moved back to Ireland. They're both originally from a place called Kilkenny in Ireland. So we need to get you
1: back.
0: the right passport then. Uh, yeah, my my brother's been saying that for ages. Why don't you get a UK passport? There's no extra advantage of having a uk passport compared to an irish passport as no. far as i can see so no. um, i know there's a couple um, of my colleagues in the uk who through their ancestral connections they're trying to get irish passports so when well, i look at yeah. it why would I buy of benefits
1: it? of having an irish passport right now uh, since uh since the dreaded b word
0: exactly exactly um i get to skip a few cues. Uh, let's (laughs) stick with the young christian um you mentioned you're in your 40s now but the the time i'm almost in my 40s almost in your 40s apologies (laughs) um what was or who was who were you influenced by as a kid when you were growing up on the bikes when you left for the days and came back in the evenings
1: uh, that's a good question. I mean, I think um, in terms of like having my own business, uh, my dad um, always has had his own business. So I was kind of influenced by that. I think it's fair to say um, in terms of like uh, books and things like that, I've always been into autobiographies. Uh, so I've always been, I, I do, I, I have always read fiction as well, but I've always liked a good autobiography. So, you know, I was reading Jack Welch's autobiography and and things like that when all my friends were not interested in things like that so I kind of always had a bit of an interest in uh, in the business world uh, as well and then I guess you know music quite eclectic so Green Day I was really into uh, Nirvana I was really into stuff like that but nice. equally I I like a bit of cheesy cheesy stuff as well um Sporting Stars you know a huge Andre Agassi fan for example um I liked his uh, slightly non-conformist ways and uh, and personality
0: Lovely. You mentioned your father there, and he was an entrepreneur himself as well. Uh, My father has owned his own business for 20 plus years. And I know that when I was in secondary school, um, I looked up to him and I certainly chose business studies as one of the topics you could choose to study. Um, And him being a business owner, having had an influence on me getting into what I am. Was that the same case with you?
1: Yeah, I think a little bit. I mean, I I was quite stubborn at school so I didn't really like sciences um, and I loved languages and history and things like that so I put up a bit of a fight uh, when it came to GCSEs um, and sort of push back against we had to do a certain number of this type of subject and a certain number of the other uh, so mm-hmm. I was always into um, languages was my kind of passion academically I suppose uh, I did French and German for A-level and then I did French for my degree and I think part of that is just around communication, I've always enjoyed traveling and meeting new people and having new experiences and seeing new places. Um, so I think you know it was partly uh, partly down to uh, dad and uh, wanting to, well, having that sort of idea of it'd be nice to have my own business at some point in time, and then I suppose adding on to that, um, having some broad horizons.
0: What was his business? You want me asking?
1: Uh, He's in kind of building, so uh, he's uh, like a building company, but he's also had other things, like he had a snooker club, for example. So I'm really into snooker, and that was partly because uh, Dad had a snooker club when I was little. I remember uh, sort of standing on a stool and trying to sort of play shots over the side of the table with a rest and things like that.
0: Who was your favourite snooker player growing up?
1: Um, That's a good question, actually. I mean, I suppose I like Jimmy White um, because he was, you know... Looking back, I really admire Stephen Hendry because he was so single-minded and, and dedicated. And I don't know if you heard it, but he did a podcast uh, interview recently on the High Performance Podcast, and I'd really recommend that because it's just uh, fascinating to hear from somebody that absolutely dominated, you know, his chosen field for for ten years. Um, so I probably really admire him. Uh, but I think, yeah, probably Jimmy White was my favorite. I've met him a couple of times recently, so that's quite cool.
0: That's a, that's pretty cool that is getting to meet someone you you lo- you looked up to for so many years. You've also mentioned travel. You've got a love for languages. Um, I must say I I the only language I can speak is English. I, I, I study French for a while. My girlfriend can speak uh, German, French, Irish, Gaelic, and English. Yeah. So whenever she's uh, not the happiest with me, she will start speaking Irish, and I won't have a <laughs> clue what she's saying to me. Um, let's pretend COVID has disappeared. Where is the first place that that that, that you're going to visit?
1: Oh, uh, absolutely. Without a question, we would go to Positano uh, in Italy. And that's because um, that's where we got married. So oh, nice. um, it's special for us for that reason. But actually, it's, it's special for another reason. And I don't know if you were going to ask me about this. But um, in 2012, um, I got run over by a car, uh, which um, lost control and mounted the curb and, and sort of plowed into me. And that was on 13th of May and I think it was the first or second week of June we'd booked holiday to Positano um we'd never been there before and um, we made we managed to get there I was in a bit of a state but we managed to get there and um it was the first time since the accident that we kind of actually like decompressed and relaxed mm. and sort of looked back and enjoyed and, and and so it was kind of special for us for that reason and then when we got engaged a few years later uh we decided to uh to get married there. And then we've been back uh, well until COVID we'd literally been back every single year for our anniversary. So we've been there, I don't know, a dozen times or something like that.
0: Epic. What, 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 what were you doing at the time of the accident in terms of like business and where was your life at?
1: So I was, I was, um, I'd, I'd actually just started, not long started in this kind of field that I'm in now. Um, and it's interesting because When I got involved in this field, it was kind of from a logical and analytical perspective, because previous to that, I was in business consultancy and and advising banks and private equity houses on Mm. should they buy this company or should they uh, take this portfolio company into Belgium or Ireland or France or wherever, that kind of thing. And um, I kind of had enough of that for various reasons and wanted to do something in the kind of real world and came across this big problem of, slips trips and falls and started looking into the the data of it and the costs and and all that stuff and the trends and uh thought that that's that's an interesting thing which ticked a lot of boxes in terms of you know what I wanted to be doing in terms of autonomy and um and stuff like that but also I wanted to do something that was a bit more altruistic and would make a difference in the world not just kind of make other people rich as it were Mm -hmm. Um, but it wasn't until my accident I think that I developed a real passion because then that's the point where I realised that actually these accidents that can happen to anybody um, and, you know, it's not your fault, but it has a massive, profound impact on you. And and so I, that's kind of redoubled my efforts and my passion for, for what I do. And, and whilst I'm not in road safety, uh, if you look at the biggest cause of, of accidents and people getting hurt when it wasn't their fault, it's um, slips, trips and falls. So kind of in terms of making an impact around keeping people safe, uh, it's a good place to start.
0: There must have been some setbacks though when you had that accident because I know on a previous podcast you've talked about how um, your old boss uh, was one of the investors in this business. There must have been expectations, goals to hit. Um, so what were some of the setbacks that you had to overcome that came with, <clears throat> with the accident?
1: Yeah, I mean, that that was tough because I was, I, was, um, I mean, look, I, I could have been more badly injured or even worse of course so Mm. kind of whilst I was unlucky it happened I was lucky that you know it wasn't a lot worse than it was but it still laid me up for quite a long time um it took me about six weeks until I could even sort of have a meeting and even then I was pretty shaky and you know quite tired and, and stuff so um it definitely uh you know set us back at that point in time um but I think you know the biggest thing for me uh in terms of issues have, have been more around uh the last 18 months because actually the covid stuff has been a real roller coaster for us uh because we've found that uh whilst overall you know people's perception of the importance of safety and hygiene and stuff has increased uh when you know when we go into lockdowns everyone's head goes into the sand and, and everything just dries up uh, and so you know, that's been really tough, um, really, really tough managing cash flow and, and managing the team and sort of keeping everybody motivated and and that kind of thing. So to get through to the other side of that, which we have, has, has been a real struggle, um, which probably people wouldn't know uh, from the outside because I try and keep my positivity up uh, on my social media and in my interactions with people. But yeah, it's been a pretty tough uh, 12, 18 months, as, as it has for everyone.
0: Well, kudos to you from, for making it to today, um, and I do want to talk more about the business, you know, slip uh, safety services. But before we get there, university, um, I do have a, cre- a couple of questions as a university, mm. starting with poker. But you mentioned to me before we came on that you went to university with Prince William and that you knew Kate. How the hell did that come about?
1: <laughs> well, it was luck, obviously, that I ended up at university uh, with uh, with them. I mean, I I knew them both to say hello to, but I knew her a little bit more. Uh, one of my best friends was was really uh, very good friends with them uh, and went on holiday with them and a bunch of others and he was actually asked to live with uh, with Will um, but he decided he'd rather live with some of our uh, closer friends uh, instead so uh, he went to um, his twenty first birthday party in, in uh, Windsor Castle and and so on and so forth so I wasn't quite as close as that but uh, no I mean they, they he was. Um, you know he was just a normal bloke and so was she, she was a normal girl you know it was it was there was nothing um pretentious nothing uh different i suppose other than you know you knew that the close protection guards were there and really i suppose it was every september and then every january there was this kind of influx of new students obviously um so for the first few weeks of term it was kind of like you know oh it's it's prince william or whatever but then once you've seen the guy like in Tesco, and you know, buying some bananas, and once you've seen him like having a couple of pints in the pub, it's you know, it's just normal, isn't it?
0: Yeah, for sure. Let's pretend you're in the pub sitting with him or with your friends. What's your what What's your beverage of choice?
1: Well, back back in those days, I would uh, <laughs> I drink a lot of beer and uh, and some of those like blue wicked things and those disgusting things mm-hmm. which I wouldn't touch now. And then on Tuesday nights uh, in St Andrews, we it was like pound a shot so we would go uh, out with a fiver and we basically go to one bar we'd have uh, five shots of rum topped up with coke in a pint glass and that would see us through for the night basically wow. um, but uh, but nowadays i'm a bit i've got a bit more refined taste so um i suppose wine I, i'm quite a big fan of wine actually so uh, a nice you know red or white wine would be my tipple of choice at the moment
0: nice i do like wine um funny that you said your drink in your college days that was obviously you were drinking on a budget I used to do the same and I look back and go how did I not die what well, I used to drink uh if I was on a budget was uh, you get a pint glass and you pour three to four shots of Jaegermeister in it and then top the rest of the glass up with Red Bull nice. and the combination of those two I don't know how it didn't kill me <laughs> yeah
1: I remember uh when I was kind of 18 I had a gap year um and I spent half of the time in France and half, uh, half I was at home but I remember like, my, some friends and from home we would uh, we would normally sit in on like a Friday night and we'd watch the uh, WWF as it was back then and we'd nice. have like a bottle of uh, vodka and two bottles of big bottles of Red Bull and just like nail all of those and then yeah we'd go to the nightclub or something and probably buy one drink or or no drinks and just we'd be sort of buzzed enough with, uh, with alcohol and, and whatever whatever the hell's in Red Bull. to uh, to have a good
0: evening. Yeah, What part of France did you live in? Because I also spent six months Mm. living in France as part of Erasmus. I was in Poitiers, which is sort
1: of in the West. Uh, Mm And I spent uh, my my sort of school exchange uh, was in Nantes, which is not too far away, which is a nice place.
0: Well, I was Uh, in Angers, which is right next to Nantes. Yeah. Very cool. What would you say to someone who's potentially thinking about spending some time abroad, whether it's with college or... I suppose did you, was there any benefits or challenges or the uh, lessons learned
1: i would say do it um it's it's pretty tough if you're immersing yourself into a totally new language and culture but i mean obviously i could speak pretty pretty good uh, french before i went there anyway um i think you know i would be much less phased by it now because i'm more mature and i've had more experiences but when you're kind of 18 and doing that uh, it's quite a big thing but i think you've just got to dive in and and, and you know live your life and enjoy it I mean I had some bad news uh last week my my former colleague um and business business partner for a few years passed away pretty suddenly um and he was only 67 and uh it just makes you think you know that plus my accident where I could have died and all these other things happening in the world with COVID and stuff you've just got to live your life and make the most of it
0: You certainly, certainly do. We were talking about college. In your final year of college, through some research, I noticed that you started running poker tournaments. Yeah. What prompted you to get into poker? Because you spent a substantial amount of time of your life, you know, your LinkedIn profile says 10, 15 plus years.
1: Involved in that. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it was just something that I really enjoyed. So a bunch of us at uni were really into watching late night poker, which was quite a popular TV series um and it was when poker was kind of on the ascendancy in terms of its popularity and online poker was becoming quite a big thing uh, and we decided as a group that we would set up a poker society at uni uh, and we got about 60 or 70 players kind of playing pretty regularly so yeah. it's quite popular um yeah. at, at the time uh, and then I um perhaps perhaps I should have been working harder uh, for my degree but I but I thought, oh, I've got all this spare time, uh, why don't I do something fun? So I decided to uh, to set up like a, there was a burgeoning sort of group of, of clubs in different unis. So I thought, well, let's yeah. bring everyone together and do a big um, national uh, student poker championship tournament. Uh, we'll hold it in St Andrews. We'll have a um, claret jug replica as the trophy. Um, yeah. And uh, so that was kind of something that I dedicated to. Um, a, a good summer too and a, a bit and a, another time as well um managed to get a, a sponsorship from bet fred uh, which is one of the, the bookmakers that's impressive yeah yeah i mean they put in um they paid ten thousand dollars entry fee for the winner to to enter the world series of poker and right. then they put in some some more prizes and, and investment and stuff so it's quite a, quite a good deal so that was a good good um learning ground for for me to go into business later in life um Ran ran that uh, at the time we did it. It was the biggest ever tournament in Europe in terms of the number of players. Um, so there'd only ever been tournaments in the US that had more more entries. Uh, it wasn't a huge prize fund because obviously we were we were. I think it was thirty quid to enter, although there was ten thousand dollars on top. Um, yeah. But um, having done that, I kind of got quite a quite a decent profile in that world, and basically um, I was approached by you know pretty much every sort of online gaming company under the sun to say come and work for me Uh, come and work for us sorry after uni Uh, but I decided for a variety of reasons I quite fancied again that entrepreneurial spirit I quite fancied uh, doing something on my own so I set up two businesses one was on my own doing um, corporate poker evenings for you know law firms and consulting firms and accountancies and things like that so we'd kind of go in and uh, have tables and dealers and teach them quickly and then play, play for small prizes. So rather than going for a meal, run a corporate poker evening. Mm. Uh, and then I set up with a friend, a, um, a poker affiliate marketing website, basically, which is still ticking over today. Um, and, uh, and, and that was partnering with some of these online gaming companies and, uh, basically finding players for them and, and taking a, a commission from the, uh, from the profits that the, 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 poker operators made.
0: Christian, this is wild, wild. Like, um, looking at your LinkedIn profile, I'm, I'm assuming you were in your early twenties when you started this poker, yeah. getting into this poker world. So before you turned 30, you were mates with Kate, you were probably one of the biggest names in poker in the UK, if not Europe at the time, um, you could speak three languages. You're making me feel pretty bad here. You're making me feel <laughs>
1: well, pretty bad. It, yeah, I suppose it sounds. I suppose if you look at it like that, it sounds quite good. But it doesn't. I, I, I don't know if it feels that way in real life. But um, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that's. It's one of these uh, interesting things, isn't it? Because I've been. Um, I don't know if you've ever come across a company called Dent, who do. No. Um, so they they they're known for this book called "Keep Become a Key Person of Influence," and it's all around personal branding and they run like a of personal branding entrepreneur accelerator and, and I've been working with them and, and one of the things they talk about is that you're standing on a mountain of value is one of their sort of maxims. So in other words, mm. you know, you, you often are so close to your own story and because you're living it every day, you don't take the time to step back and have that perspective and say, well actually I've done some pretty cool stuff and I've got some value here and I've got some stories to share. And and so on. So yeah, that's probably an example of that where you look at it and think, oh, that's really cool. And I look at it and it's kind of, yeah, it's pretty cool, but that's just like
0: part of life. It's just life. Yeah. Mm. You, after the, after getting involved in all sorts of things in poker, you, you, you did what I would consider like a 180 degree flip. You went into safety. What prompted you to do the 180 degree flip?
1: Well, in between there was this consulting period um hmm. where I I tried to be uh I tried to be a corporate person and it didn't hmm. I mean it it worked to some extent I learned a lot but it wasn't it wasn't for me uh and um when my you mentioned my former boss and now my my investor and, and, and colleague in, in the business and when I was kind of going through the process of leaving that consulting job he was the MD and he and I you know had a few sessions and he he sort of said look he had a similar experience where he was doing uh, accountancy with deloitte i think it was back mm. when he was a similar kind of age and a boss at that time to him said write a list of 10 things you'd like to get out of your next job or your career don't write down you know i want to earn a billion pounds a year but write down things that are you know realistic but but things you're going to strive for um so i went through that process and did that list of, of 10 and that really helped me give get some clarity around you know what it, what it, exactly it was i wanted to to go and do and so that list didn't necessarily drive me down the the route of the safety thing I was actually looking at doing uh some importing of of various things and resale but that didn't work out but I had a happened to have a meeting with um the guy I mentioned who just uh, sadly passed away Mm. um who had done something similar to that before and then we got a chatting about what he was involved in which was this whole safety piece and it was kind of quite intriguing to me um so that's how I kind of got involved and and as I said earlier I think it was driven by just seeing the size and scale of the problem uh but also it ticked quite a few of those boxes in terms of you know I wanted to do something as I said that was about that was doing some good in the world um and when I reviewed that list of 10 about 18 months in you know I think I was hitting about six or seven which is pretty good um if you think about it for sure
0: For sure. you've got a podcast of of your own um one, why was it to uh, increase your brand, generate leads, use it as a way of creating content?
1: All of the above. Um, okay. I mean, fundamentally, uh, I love podcasts and I'm, I'm voraciously consuming podcasts. And so I've always thought in the back of my mind, wouldn't it be cool to do a podcast um, mm-hmm. for all those reasons? But also... Um, what I've found, it's, it's an interview podcast like this and, and I interview people that are uh, experts in or have a story to, to tell or insights to share around safety and risk. And, you know, actually I've learned so much from that process that actually that that's been the best thing for me, although that's only for me personally, uh, not necessarily the audience. But yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's about, I suppose the mission I'm on is to, or well, the, ch- the biggest challenge I've got is people understand safety but they don't necessarily feel the compulsion to, to change the way they act mm. uh, to, 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 to drive the improvement. So for me, it's all about trying to raise the profile and raise the importance and, and share best practices and share success stories and things like that. So it's all learning effectively and then communicating. Um, so, you know, I'm able to learn stuff from all of these great guests and put that out into the world so other people can learn. And, you know, it, we're slowly dripping uh, droplets of water into that pool of, knowledge and understanding and, and, and slowly LinkedIn. making a difference.
0: I'm with you. I'm with you. Um, we first came across each other and we've been connected for a while through LinkedIn. How mm-hmm. big of a role has LinkedIn played in spreading awareness and kind of generating new clients for you? Link,
1: yeah. LinkedIn. Um, I spend, uh, as, you, as you know, I think quite a lot of time on, on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. I've invested quite heavily into LinkedIn and it's working pretty well for me. I think it's fair to say. Um, I get, I mean, I I post uh, once or twice a day. Uh, I do a lot of commenting and and liking and I post in groups and things. I'm pretty a heavy, heavy user of it. Yeah. Um, And uh, I get inbound inquiries, which is great. Uh, I get recommendations and referrals, uh, which is great. Uh, But also actually what it's done is, you know, uh, thinking about the time before COVID when we we went to trade shows, you know, I remember distinctly walking around the Excel centre uh, in East London. And I got stopped by four people who said, Oh, I've seen your videos on LinkedIn. Um, so Absolutely. it's things like that. So it's obviously it's working at getting that knowledge and, 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 um, and the message out there to a wide audience. So, you know, when you have things like that happen, then that kind of makes you double down and, and kind of keep going with it. Cause it seems to be working.
0: Yeah. I, another platform I've dabbled in, but to be honest, um, for me, the, the, the interest is just not there. Maybe they'll, they'll, uh, change things, but clubhouse, I noticed you're on clubhouse. What are your thoughts on clubhouse?
1: Um, I think I, I'm a bit mixed on it. Cause I, I think that for me, um, my, my ideal client isn't really on clubhouse.
0: Mm-hmm. And so
1: it has less relevance from a business perspective, but, um, I do enjoy it from a kind of consumer perspective. So rather than creating content, consuming content and joining in conversations, you know, I've been on some rooms where, again, there's been great guests and I've and I've learned some stuff and it's been really interesting. And I think what's good about it is you've kind of, you've democratized speech. So it's like a pop, an interactive podcast, isn't it? But mm. everybody can, within reason, get the opportunity to stand up there on the stage and and talk to people. So I think that's good. Um, but I think that it can be a drain of time, just like any social media platform can, you know, you could spend a lot of time uh, on Clubhouse and it might be interesting, but is that moving you forward with your goals in life? Um, Perhaps not necessarily. I think it's better to be, uh, you know, if you're investing time in Clubhouse, it's better to be on the stage, running a room and and being the person that's talking more than being in the audience. And I think it's a similar thing for, for LinkedIn. You know, I think, Yes, there's there's clearly a value in being on there and learning and and seeing what's happening in the feed, but I think there's more value uh, by creating content and like you do and putting stuff out there.
0: Well, they 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 might have changed it since, but for me, the bit that didn't get me to invest a lot of time with Clubhouse was the live pod. Let, let's just call it like a live podcast. Mm. It, it's then dead and disappeared after yeah. it's finished and. Um, it, it's it's rare that I'll find myself with you know 30 minutes where I'll go you know what what am I gonna do now I'm gonna go on to clubhouse and perhaps find an interesting room yeah. um, if I've got 30 minutes to spare I, I, I can think of 10 other things that will be more useful for my time yeah. than to go on clubhouse and if I'm outside of work and I've got 30 minutes to spare, I'm probably gonna ring my, my parents or hang out with my girlfriend rather than go on clubhouse so maybe they'll yeah. change it just for me the, the live aspect and then it's dead afterwards.
1: Yeah, I, I I do agree. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, the benefit of doing something like this is that um, it's a digital asset, isn't it? And it lives yeah. forever, basically. So the more stuff you can do, you know, websites, podcasts, uh, webinars, brochures, you know, all that stuff, um, it, it kind of lives forever. And so that's got a much longer term benefit.
0: I love that you've dipped your toes in everything, though, and you've tried different things. Um, for anyone who's listening who's perhaps thinking of leaving the corporate world like you did or they're earlier in their career and they're in college and um, they've got the equivalent of a of a poker society set up, what would you say to them if you had a piece of advice in terms of starting their own business? What should they be aware of and consider? I
1: would say definitely do it. I'd say, uh, if I can swear, not, not too bad yeah. to swear. It's bloody hard. Um, and That's not a swear. <laughs> okay. uh, I won't say the F word. Um... Work
0: fucking hard <laughs> is
1: what he's trying to say. Yeah, it's, it's fucking hard, yeah. Um, uh, and I think um, the biggest thing for me, and this is something that I am good at recognising, uh, but I'm maybe not as good at acting on, is knowing yourself and actually figuring out where are you strong and where are you weak? Uh, and And... I think if you look at most businesses that have done well, it's not one person. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a one man band. And the the likes of Gary V who portrays himself as like, I'm this person. He's got like 50 people sitting behind him, but you just don't see them. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think it's it's actually about trying to build, understand your your strengths and weaknesses and then build a team uh, around you that can support where, support you where you're weak. Because I think increasingly, you know, where, you've got to focus your time and effort on where you can add the most value and where you can do the best, the best stuff that's going to drive you forward. Uh, so, you mm-hmm. know, for me, um, I, I'm not a, a, a finance person, you know, that's, that's not a good use of my time. I'm better off doing things like this and doing my mm-hmm. posts and trying to do web and doing webinars and having meetings and, you know, being an outward facing content, creating partnership, building kind of person. That's what I'm good at. That's where my strengths lie. So, I think having that self-awareness is probably one of the key things to think about. And if you haven't got that yourself, you know, have some conversations with your friends and your family and the people that know you and, and, and get there, tell them that you want them to be tough on you and, and tell you like it is um, and, and just take that on the chin uh, and use that as, as a way to to grow and develop. And I think that's, that's certainly the advice I would give.
0: Nice. I like it. Um, What drives you? What, what, what drives you to continue to grow and build your business?
1: It's an interesting question that because I have a bit of a dichotomy here because I um, I'm on I've got I've got a very clear mission that I'm that I'm driving towards um, so that's that's great so I'm playing a I'm playing a big game I've got uh, lofty goals and I'm heading towards those but then from a personal perspective I always struggle because I I'm not sort of I like a nice life you know I've got a nice house I'm a member of a of the RAC club you know I've got nice things and whatever but I've never had that sort of drive of like I want to be a billionaire so Mm -hmm. money money on itself doesn't sort of drive me as such it's more about kind of getting to a a comfortable and sustainable and a nice Mm -hmm. life where I can have that balance and and enjoy uh, what I'm doing and you know I want to make an impact but I suppose the area that I've chosen to work in you know it's never going to be a a billion pound thing anyway so that's good but I can have an impact and and help half a million people a year that's kind of what I'm aiming towards my my mission is to try and help half a million people and reduce the number of these accidents by half a million a year well if I can achieve that um you know and I'm on the way but I'm nowhere near there yet but if I can achieve that then I'll be very comfortable and, and that's great but I don't think um I don't think I'll then necessarily think right I want to now do the next thing and and make myself 100 million. I'm not sure if I'm that wired.
0: Do you see uh, different ventures in the future, considering that you're not even 40 yet? Or is this something that is your long-term play, or you just don't know yet?
1: Um, uh, Where I'd like to get to with this business is the position where uh, we could sell it if we wanted to, but we don't want to, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Because actually, if you're at a point where people are coming to you because they want to buy you, then actually you've got a really good business. Uh, so and if you're doing something where you know the advantage of what what I'm the the area I'm working in is that actually if I succeed then I'm doing something good in the world as well so that will always keep fueling the fire to carry on wanting to do more so I think if if we get to that point where you know we are getting uh, inquiries for people wanting to buy us because we're doing really well then that, that that's kind of where I want to get to with this and then I guess you know We'll see. You know, do we do we do more? Do we carry on? Do I take a step back? Um, I, mm. well, I'd actually quite like to um, do kind of what my my former boss and now investor is doing, and 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 one of my other investors, and have like a bit of a portfolio of different investments and try and help some other companies to grow. And I'd like to see, see myself doing that in a, in maybe ten years as well.
0: Nice. That's that. That's cool. LinkedIn post of yours, was well, a recent LinkedIn post of yours was around golf. Yeah. You're a fan of golf. Two questions. You got a favorite golfer and have you got a favorite golf course?
1: So my favorite golf course is Kings Barns, which is close to St. Andrews in Scotland. Um, mm-hmm. I like it there. There's, there's all sorts of reasons, but um, I, I spent a summer caddying there as well. So I got to know that course really well uh and it's just a stunning course you know you're right along the coast and you've got um sweeping holes around around the coastline and the, the beach is in play and it's just yeah. a really really nice really nice course well presented well looked after uh so i think that's probably what i would say for that favorite golfer that's a good question i've always liked uh, colin montgomery um i clearly everyone everyone loves tiger um I quite I quite admire Bryson actually because, you know, I know he's a bit controversial with what he's done, but actually what he's trying to do is take that principle of marginal gains and and look for an edge and you know, really work at it and, and, and bring some science in and, and actually that kind of ties in with, with my approach to to my world of, of safety as well. So I've got to admire him.
0: McElroy's been going through a bit of a dry spell and I know he recently brought on a new coach to help him with his game. One of the things his coach said was No matter where you place in the in the recent Augusta tournament, as soon as you've kind of exited it, you're going to disappear for six weeks and do nothing related to golf whatsoever. I think he's in the Bahamas with his family at the moment. Nice. Um, What 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 are your thoughts on the chances that McElroy might might uh, get that green jacket? Do you think it's going to happen or not? I think it's got, I
1: mean, he's too talented not to get the green jacket. I suppose the cha- the challenge, of course, is that it's only once a year, isn't it? So, yeah. you know, he, he's, only got, he's only got another 20 chances, I suppose, or something like that. But, you know, you, you'd think, I mean, his game to me is built for Augusta. So I just, I just don't really know why he hasn't quite made it. He's been close, hasn't he? And he had that meltdown um, mm. a few years ago. I'm, I'm sure he'll get there. And I think actually taking time off, you know, I, I fully agree with that. That's probably some advice I should take because I'm, particularly at the minute since COVID, um, we've got two young kids and, and it's just um, non-stop because you're either working or you're working, looking after the kids, and then in the evenings you're catching up with work or you're just like so knackered <laughs> you just fall asleep. So.
0: So well, that might be the answer to the next question that I was going to ask you was what's kind of a challenge or objection that you've come up against in the last 12 months with COVID that you didn't account or expect for and how yeah. did you tackle it?
1: Yeah, that would be it. I mean, we... Um, so we've got a six-year-old and a three-year-old and both boys and the three-year-old, uh, Seb, he uh, has bad asthma and he's actually been in intensive care twice in his life with, with pneumonia brought on by his asthma. So when, obviously... COVID all started. We were really scared about that, so we uh, pulled him out of nursery. Um, so he's been at home with us kind of every day since then. Uh, and then his brother, who was a bit older, uh, was at school, but then obviously the schools were closed and and stuff. So um, it's been yeah, it's been pretty tough because we're both working my wife's um, a lawyer so she's got a demanding career and I've got a business to run so that's pretty demanding uh so trying to juggle that has been has been difficult we've tried different models uh, we tried um you know t- two hours on two hours off that was a disaster you couldn't get your head into the into the space we've settled on something now where it seems to work pretty well so we have childcare on a on a Monday and a Thursday uh and then Tuesdays I take several day and pick up Nate and blah 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 so I have Tuesday as a day off Uh, Wednesday we split, Um, every other Friday we take turns and then I work on Saturday so it's a bit um, higgledy-piggledy but it seems to it seems to work for us and yeah I think you've just got to be flexible and adaptable and you know I think um, a word I've often used about myself is pragmatic and pragmatism is definitely what was needed in trying to navigate through COVID.
0: For sure I, I remember when things first hit the ground and everyone was kind of trying to juggle everything you know myself included i remember one day i was out for a run and after the run i walked i was walking back home because the run finished at my parents house and they live a bit of kilometer from my house so i walked the kilometer afterwards and i and i stopped to get a coffee and i heard two men talking and they were out for walks with their kids in prams and they were basically saying that you know they're out for walks while their wives are working and they're juggling things and i was like holy crap i'm so lucky that i have no kids because i thought it was difficult <laughs> but then imagining having kids on top of that must just be
1: yeah we've 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 spoken my wife and I a few times about how like if you if you know if if we'd been in our mid-20s and you know uh, no kids no responsibilities and we've been put on furlough for example it probably would have been in many ways like the best year of your life because you know you're kind of getting paid pretty well to to effectively do do nothing and I know there was you know not as many things you could do but um you know that that Depending on how you grabbed that opportunity, it could have been a great opportunity to to read or learn or develop or or just relax or whatever. Whereas, yeah, I think so many people, particularly the parents, I think it's been toughest for, um, have just had it sort of, you know, really tough from from both ends. So, you know, kudos to uh, kudos to all parents out there who've managed to cope.
0: Absolutely, and I, and, I, and I have seen some people start uh, getting into hobbies that they may have. Uh, ignored and not had the time for in the past my oh. brothers got into <clears> genealogy <throat> and now he set up a Fiverr account and does work for other people on the side which would never have happened if nice. COVID didn't exist i started this podcast yeah but
1: public well, I, speaking I, I started
0: my podcast as well because i i'd <clears throat> going back to the question about
1: podcasts i didn't mention um i've always loved podcasts and i've always thought it'd be a good idea to do and then it, it was actually covid that made me think well now's as good a time as any because actually I know that people are going to be at home and they're going to be able to book out time. And and Mm. so, yeah, that's what kind of gave me the impetus to
0: do it. Absolutely. Public speaking. You've said it's something that you haven't always loved. Um, You've have 4 lessons. Don't assume, give it a go. You'll get better over time. It's worth it. How did you become better at public speaking? And do you still get those uh, butterfly feelings in your stomach?
1: Yeah, I think just by practicing. I mean, I remember um, in my gap year going for. A, I, I did some telemarketing work, and that help. That helps because you're just talking to people that you don't um, you don't know. I've always been quite shy, so like with girls, for example, I've always been horrendously bad at sort of wanting to approach girls and you know worried about rejection and things like that. But you just have to, and it's the same with sales, isn't it? You just have to get over with it. And public speaking is like that, but on steroids because you're there. Not getting rejected one to one, but you're potentially getting rejected by a hundred people at once. So, the the weight of pressure can feel pretty, uh, pretty strongly. Um, mm. I think for me, it was just just trying and and actually, um, I've never done anything like Toastmasters or anything like that. My wife's done that and she found it really really useful. But I think if you What you've got to remember, it's a bit like the point we were making earlier about the the sort of mountain of value and being close or not, but you've actually got everyone that's watching this and everyone in the world has got loads of stuff of value to say because you've always got your unique perspective. You're the only person that's ever lived your life and got your story. You're the only person that's seen things the way you've seen things and done the things you've done. And that is of value to people. So you've got to just, you know, there'll always be people that want to hear your story. There'll always be people that want to hear you speak. So as long as you kind of understand the right audience and who you're talking to um, and you can put some passion into it and put some empathy uh, and, and put some insight in there, then I think you'll, you'll be fine. And, you know, it, it is just a case of giving it a go, trying different approaches, you know, do you start with a joke? Do you start with a personal story? Um, do you start with um, something attention grabbing, you know, there's how do you finish it? You know, mm-hmm. there's all sorts of, Different methods and, and structures and things to try with, but um, to play with. But I think, like anything, it's just yeah, you improve by doing it. You know, you've got to just jump in with both feet and give it a go.
0: I love that feeling after you've done a good talk; it lands, a hits home, and it's just this buzz that you get. And as a result of that, <clears throat> I love doing talks. But I and I, and subsequently, I've been at a lot of events where I hear people talk, and <clears throat> something that no one's brought up to me yet, but I'll say it on this podcast is that quite often I'll go up to people afterwards and I'll say, really enjoyed your talk, you know, love this part, love that part. And some feedback I get from people and it's more than you think is I'm glad you liked it, but I forgot to say this. I forgot to include that. And what I'll say to those people is anyone who's sitting in the audience listening to your talk doesn't know what you're going to say and doesn't know what you've planned. So if you leave something out, you're the only person who knows that you've left that out. Nobody else does. Yeah
1: no that's quite right and I mean I've been doing uh, a lot of webinars obviously uh, over the last 12 months and uh, I did one the other week which I which was for insurance companies <clears throat> and I had about 30 people on and I felt like I presented it really well I put a lot of time into the, the talk I did some good slides I did a really good structure I used a particular kind of uh, presentation architecture that I that I know works I gave the talk and opened it up to questions and it was kind of like dead silence and you think oh no like hasn't this has this not landed um or, or you know have I missed a, missed something here or whatever um so yeah it sort of kind of semi-awkwardly then finished um but I sent out uh, a four question um feedback thing which is which is um anonymous uh, deliberately and I got like 9.2 out of 10 so it did hit home wow. uh yeah. and it, and they were they, they they did enjoy it but it but um you know, perhaps I covered it so well there were no questions. I don't know. So don't always be hard on yourself either. From that perspective, you know, if, if you some, you know, if you're talking to somebody, if you're presenting. Uh, it's different one to one, but if you're presenting to a group and actually they're sort of sitting intently and they're taking it all in, and actually, you know, there might not be questions. There might not be the kind of hoopla at the end. But you know, don't don't necessarily therefore feel as if it hasn't hit home because you know it can.
0: Final question. Christian question is, what's a current book or podcast that you're reading or listening to? Uh,
1: The current book I am reading is Barack Obama's autobiography. Uh, So again, going back to my autobiography things, um, I asked for David Cameron and Barack Obama's autobiographies for Christmas. I read David Cameron's first, and then I'm getting towards the end of Barack Obama's. Um, Interesting comparing and contrasting the two. Uh, Barack Obama is... Uh, they're both pretty self-aware But Barack Obama is, is more um, I got this wrong and, and kind of that's it Whereas David Cameron mm-hmm. is more I got this wrong, but this and but that And trying to sort of justify yeah. uh, himself a bit more I think it's, I think it's good to, uh, to read um, Prime Minister-President autobiographies Because, you know, uh, you, if you can learn from anybody Why not learn from the people uh, from the people at the top? Um, podcasts. Uh, what am I listening to? I mean, I mean, I like I love the Sandler podcasts. I love the Dent podcast. Um, I'm actually listening to an interesting podcast at the moment, which probably isn't for everybody. Uh, it's got it's by um, Jacob Rees-Mogg, and it's uh, it's called Why Parliament Works. So it's not a political uh, podcast at all. Um, it's mm-hmm. actually talking about all the all how the British Constitution works, and he interviews people from the House of Lords or clerks from the House of Commons. He's interviewed uh, the speaker, Lindsay Hoyle, and that to me, I'm quite interested in politics. So that's really fascinating, mm-hmm. sort of delve, delving behind the curtain to see how, how things are happening um, in, uh, in politics.
0: You've made life difficult for me in terms of titling this podcast. I don't know where to go with it, Christian. <laughs> I've got, you know, business owners, slip safety services. I've got uh, people you knew at university, running poker tournaments, favourite golfer. Wrestling wrestling like i don't know what i'm gonna to do to to title this podcast just just call it just call it
1: the legend the legend himself christian harris
0: no, I'm <laughs> so, <huh. laughs> all right well look we'll we'll leave it there thank you very much for being my guest today
1: yeah pleasure it's been great